America is reopening again and privileged people are showing their ass. America going into Memorial Day would not be America without strip clubs and strip clubs would not be strip clubs without stimulus. The strip clubs are open, the restaurants are opening, America's reopening, and of course the Democrats and the Republicans are doing the one thing they both agree on, talking more stimulus. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about gold. We'll talk about silver, copper, uranium, the VIX below 30. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, the frugal, the insightful, the intelligent, the guilty Catholic, Mr. Nick Hodge. How are you, Mr. Hodge? This is episode 71 of Bizarro World. Do you believe that? I'm doing well. We're moving from showing ass to eating ass, which may be an upgrade depending on who you talk to. I'm not sure. Just happy to be here. How are you? I don't know that you can do one without the other. (laughs) (laughs) I am well. Thank you for asking. Let's get right to it. Um, Gold closed right around the 1736 level. Pretty quiet week. Silver 1715 started a run, pulled back. Copper looks good at 238. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing um, some, some infrastructure stimulus that Dr. Copper is sniffing out. Um, let's start with gold, Nick. How, uh, how did you view the trading action this week? And we'll talk about the overall indices in a second. Um, I think gold is just holding its own, right? I mean, it's up here in the, in the 1730 level. Um, quite strong, has actually pulled back a bit. I think it's um, going back higher, back up to, to 1750. And north of that, it might be a stair step. I don't know. You don't know. No one knows. But what I do know is that I bought a little bit more um, gold, at least as a trade this week, um, as it as it dipped back down to around 1730-ish, um, and maybe even a dollar or two below that. And I'm in quite in long gold, I should say, and I'm quite confident in doing so. So I think that's probably as easy as I can make it. Well said. Uh, like you, I don't know if it's going up or down, you know, on Tuesday or Wednesday or, or, or next week, but I do feel pretty confident that, you know, we close the year out somewhere around these levels, if not higher. Um, and, and with that, let me ask you, and, and I know because of the amount of deal flow that I'm getting, if, uh, if I, I'm getting deals pitched to me, I know you're getting deals pitched to you. What have you seen? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm just trying to get uh, an update there. What have you seen in the way of deal flow? Are you seeing quality deals come across your email inbox or is it still just, um, you know, the run of the mill recycled property in a new bull market type of gold deals that, you know, tend to pop up every time we get a new bull market? It's both. You know, I've been swatting deals away that are recycled properties. And it's interesting that I haven't even been in this industry long enough, not even long enough, in fact, to see a a true ripping gold cycle. And I'm already seeing some of the same projects come across my desks with, which tells you something about the industry and how short they expect people's memories to be. And um, that's really probably something we should spend 30 seconds talking about is that and it's something I didn't know really a lot when I was younger and, and, and less mature and, and, and less educated in the sectors that these properties get recycled all the time. You know, they got all these names, North Star, Golden Moose, uh, Big Bob, you know, whatever the projects are named. And all these companies have these different <laughs> projects and you got to keep track of them. Right. And so but it'll just change them. Big Bob will become Little Jim in the next cycle. You know what I mean? So. You gotta like you need a spreadsheet. You know, I like spreadsheets to keep track of them all and who promoted them before. And that's where it's good to have people that have seen 
pre previous cycles and say, no, that property has been promoted here or there or whatever it is. And so, uh, but to answer your question, uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, bad deals. It seems like anybody can raise a million bucks right now. Shit, it seems like anybody can raise maybe two or two and a half million right now. Eric Sprott might give it to you himself from what I've been seeing over the past couple of weeks. Um, and some really quality deals emerging too, stuff that's been private um, teams that have done this before that now see the the cycle um, starting to turn like for real, for real, um, and and sort of taking some projects um, back out under under their leadership. And so, yes, um, I've been seeing quality deals as well. Um, one of the problems, as as you and I were talking about before we started recording, is is the amount of capital, right? Not that <laughs> we I'm don't entirely... have Eric Sprott money. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so you really start got to start deciding like who your favorite kids are, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a uh, it, it's a good part of the cycle. I, I I myself have seen some quality deals come through. I've seen some trash ones, some ATM ones. <laughs> For those of you not familiar, that's uh, Nick's cuddly uh, <laughs> Nick's cuddly reference to ass to mouth deals, which are exactly that. So there's been a couple of those as well. But there's been a lot of quality deals, and not just in the gold space. I'm seeing some critical metals deals um, that that all of a sudden look very appetizing and prospective, and so. I think we're we're at the part of the cycle where it's time to be a stock picker again. Everything will not go up um, just because the gold price goes higher, just because we have rising tensions with China and the geopolitical story is back in focus. Um, please, please be diligent out there, folks. Make sure that you're vetting these deals. Reach out to your favorite newsletter writer who, who you know, who hopefully, if they're worth the pennies that, that, that you're paying them, um, have geologists they can call and have people they can call that have seen multiple markets and cycles. And so I know that's something I do. I know it's something Nick does. Um, I know for a fact, you know, the better, better newsletter writers in the space um, include a, a Joe Mazumdar, for example, of Exploration Insights, who's an economic geologist and, you know, has experience in the capital markets as well and has seen multiple cycles. And so, you know, just make sure that you're betting the deals because I, I guarantee you that a year from now, we're going to be looking back and there's some deals that we're going to wish um, frankly, never popped up and, and, and people are going to get hurt like they do in every cycle. This is the early, early stages of a gold bull market that I personally think will be historic, but we've seen these cycles before. That does not mean people won't lose their ass, right? Oh, that's exactly right. And, and deals are seemingly uh, formed so quickly. Like um, what was one I saw that's already trying to merge? Like that Gold X deal, right? Mm. You, see, you have the lithium, you have like the lithium X team, which... Uh, like them or hate them, they got it done. They they sold the company. They got their shareholders out. It's been one of my better deals. Um, and not that their management team is viewed favorably by everyone in the sector by all means, but they got it done. And here they come again with Gold X. This is sort of what I mean by management teams coming back out, right? Um, Paul Matizic, et cetera. Um, and I hardly get the slide deck across my desk and they're proposing merging with Guiana Goldfields and Grand Colombia, right? And so... Um, just all kind of deals happening. And, um, you know, as someone we both listen to says a lot, it's when all the turkeys start flying, right? And gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble is right. Let's talk silver really quickly. Um, I still don't have faith. That, you know, I know Twitter was, you know, <laughs> they, they, they were excited this past week. Silver made a run towards $18. It quickly pulled back, traded exactly 
as I expected it to as an industrial metal. And, and again, I know silver will have its day. I'll believe it when it touches the $21 level and it breaks over $20 and 50 cents until then. I think it's noise. Um, do you view that differently, Nick? Am I too, am I too pessimistic on the silver trade? No, I don't dabble as thoroughly in silver either. And there was a, a lot of noise about it this week. Even Mr. Dines got excited about it, sending out an interim morning bulletin and reiterating his call on, on quality silver stocks. And um, look, for me, it's like these gold stocks are, are still about to, to have their move. And, um, you know, some of these uh, companies were invested in, as, as I view it. You know, you look at certain things, right? What Jewish what jurisdictions do I want to be in? I want some North America. I want some Mexico. I want some Peru, whatever it is. But then you got to look at metals baskets. I know you want to talk about copper, but same thing with like gold and silver. And so, you know, there's some companies that are are pure gold, like a revival gold is, is all gold in Idaho. And then and I'm just going to talk about companies that you and I talk about a lot now. Something like an Almaden is like you're getting 50% exposure to silver. And so, um, you know, based on the silver exposure and some of the companies I'm involved in, I'm, I'm content with with that, right? It's not like um, um, one of these stacker guys. They call themselves stackers. You know that, Gerardo? I'm not one of these silver stacker guys that's out there. So um, I'm not all about like the Endeavor, and the Alexco. That's a different breed. Are stackers like Packers? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let's get to copper because I think copper is sniffing out a potential stimulus package that, you know, is probably like the the the, the, the loudest, most public uh, secret amongst politicians and, and the po- po- political class. Um, you know, it, it, it copper touched 240. A pound this week. Obviously, we're a long ways from that three dollar mark that we were at uh, before. You know, demand was destroyed at the levels it was destroyed at, which means everything shut down completely. But you know, you 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 got. I gotta like copper. I I I I love the future of it. Um, I love the long term demand profile of it. I do believe that we're gonna get a huge by huge. I mean, trillion dollar stimulus infrastructure package in the US. China just announced one that, you know, isn't all upfront money, but it's 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 a long-term multi-trillion dollar infrastructure package and I think um, you know, companies that have um significant exposure to copper with with a good gold kicker in there are going to become more and more attractive and there's not a lot out there, right? There's 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 a select few companies that that have millions of ounces of gold and billions of pounds of copper um, that are economic at today's prices. So I encourage everybody to do some due diligence on gold copper plays, copper gold plays, because I think they're going to become a lot more attractive very, very soon. I believe that the the CEO of Barrick recently mentioned that he's looking for more copper and gold exposure. So if it's good enough for Barrick, it should be good enough for a lot of you that are listening to this, looking for a way to make a buck. Any thoughts on that, Nick? No, Mark Bristow definitely said that a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, when I've been listening to gold CEOs speak or when I've been speaking to them myself, um, they're keen to mention their their copper credits as well. Who was I interviewing the other week? I was interviewing Amir, for example, with gold mining, and we were running through all his projects. And I get to the end and I say, typical, you know, is there anything else you'd like to mention before we wrap this up? And he goes right into copper, right? Make sure you don't forget, Nick, that our gold equivalent ounces include a lot of copper too, (laughs) especially in Colombia. So he's quick to mention it too, right? It's on like it's everybody wants you to know that they've got that copper kicker. And and same to your credit, you know, some of these gold copper porphyry deals are 
are really running or you look at some of the ones that have gotten attention like um Hannon, maybe not as much gold kind of early to tell to be honest um but you know i think copper is great long term not only for the for the infrastructure um as it were with um the internet and 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 5g but with uh, electric cars as well and and one thing that and I think I've mentioned this before that Robert Friedland has been mm. keen on with this whole coronavirus thing is like, I'm seeing infomercials already for like, what was it? It was like this copper key you're supposed to use to like punch, um, select what gas grade you wanted to press the keys on the, on the ATM, right? So you don't have to touch them with your fingers because copper is uh, antimicrobial or antibacterial, whatever, right? So um, I think you're just going to see a lot more uses for it. Um, although not, I don't want it to take away from from gold in the interim. It did get to 240. It sort of shied away from it when it got there. And so um, long term, I think copper is healthy, but I'm not rushing headlong into it right now. So sort of same thing with silver. I got a lot of copper credits that I'm pretty, pretty happy with. Well said. The dollar was relatively stable this week. It did fall below the the, the hundred mark, closing at ninety nine seventy five. The dollar index, um, not much there as far as volatility. Not much volatility in the gold space. Um, the VIX, which measures volatility, fell below thirty. Um, the markets, the overall indices, were relatively stable, though the Dow did have its best performance in six weeks. Uh, do you believe this, uh, this newfound mirage of fed induced stability last? I don't know. I, I'm sort of conflicted. I know you think that stocks can go back to new highs and I'm not sure if you think they will go back to new highs, but, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's certainly a possibility. It's tough to be convicted, be a convicted bear on on broad based equities when you've seen what they've done over the past couple of months in the face of the data that has come out in the uh, past couple of months. And we've just sort of wrapped up earnings season, which was uh, pretty bad. I think negative 13% <laughs> earnings growth was the, was the number. And that's only with sort of one month of stay at home orders. You've got to think that Q2 earnings numbers are going to be significantly worse. And I'm not sure the the market cares. I honestly could probably make an argument for for both sides, Gerardo, and and so I'm content to sort of try to straddle this thing. I don't I don't know if I've made that clear in my in my letters and, and what I've been writing, but um, you can be like long equities and still like long gold too. It's sort of we're in this like bizarro world, right? And so. <laughs> um, I, I'm not entirely sure. What I will say is that the volume hasn't been giving me the warm and fuzzies in the S&P. Like the volume is light. Here we are already in May. I'm just I'm just not sure if people are going to want to buy this um, with conviction, especially. Uh, well, not especially. I just I'm, I'm just unsure, to be honest. And you look at the rest of the markets, the rest of the global markets. And sorry for making this a long answer, but they're not doing what the U.S. is doing. Right. And so um Again, I could make an argument that because of that, capital from the the rest of the world is going to want to find a home in mm. U.S. equities. And then to to further parse that out, it's only going to be select equities. I mean, gosh, this S&P is running on the back of a couple of stocks. Everybody knows that, right? And so um, just be careful. Make sure you're in, well, the anyway. <laughs> it's um, I could make an argument either way, I think. Understand the cycle that you're investing in, whatever, whatever sector, whether it's tech, whether it's, you know, 
blue chip stocks that are paying a dividend, whether it's gold stocks, whatever, whatever you're speculating on or investing into, um, just make sure that you're investing for the cycle because the stability won't last. There's, there's, there's just no way that in an election year where one candidate, Biden, can't put a sentence together without offending. Um, and another candidate, you know, Mr. Trump is out here, you know, telling uh, the fine people of Michigan, you know, what, what great genes, you know, and, 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 and what a great bloodline Mr. Ford had, you know, who was a Nazi sympathizer. And, and you know, he looked all smug when he said it. And, and the crazy part is I don't even think Trump's really like a white supremacist. I just think he's got a bunch of white supremacists that feed him this stuff and it gets applause and applause. Uh, from from the crowd and 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 it's it's a good dog whistle and he'll just do whatever it takes to win. But what I'm saying is, you have two candidates that that don't inspire a lot of stability. However you feel about Biden, however you feel about Donald Trump, this is an election year. We're coming into June, folks. The election, if it happens, is going to happen in November. So I don't expect the volatility to remain as stable as it was this week. But with that being said, you know, Sugar Daddy Jerome has a big bazooka to shoot into the markets. And, 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 you know, there's a lot, a lot of stimulus. I joked about, you know, strip clubs reopening back this weekend and restaurants. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. America reopening. Um, it's going to be hard to bet against the amount of capital that the Fed and the Treasury are injecting into the market. And so we'll see, but it, it will be volatile. I, I know that much. Um, Let's talk uranium a little bit at a time. Every week it makes four-year highs, right? The spot price, it, it, it trickled over $34. Um, the equities have, haven't have really moved for a couple of weeks. They've been quiet. Do you do you, do you you think that changes, Nick? Are you following that at all? Are you just kind of taking a wait-and-see approach as I am? Um, I'm following. Uh, uranium pulled back a little bit under uh, $34 for a couple of days, went, went back to $34. Um, I I think you're going to see, you You were just talking about the, the cycle. I think one of the things you're going to see along with um, a return to to a favorability uh, or a favorable opinion of, of gold is just uh, a favorable, more favorable opinion of uh, hard assets in general as things that are real, right? We just came out of a cycle where, I mean, just look at SoftBank this week for crying out loud, right? Um, where... Uh, large multi-billion dollar bets were being made on these unicorns that um, weren't profitable. This is something that we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, right? Where 40% of the, the stocks that publicly traded on, on uh, main exchanges weren't um, operating profitably. And so um, I think you get a reverberation from that, man. I think you get like... Um, investors at least a tiny bit looking at at more hard assets and things that are real and i think uranium is a part of that um and alongside that there's a lot of other things that are that are coming into uranium's favor we've talked about the the closing of the chapter of the nuclear fuel working group that sort of brings some stability back and at least some some clarity on what the the policy guidance is going to be um and I guess what I wanted to talk about in uranium is that I see it like trickling slowly, slowly into the mainstream, right? Where mm. like uranium and nuclear is sort of like a niche thing for a long time. And then slowly but surely with the um, 
uh, you have like the Germans sort of like the information coming out there that maybe they shouldn't have sh- shut down their, their nuclear reactors. Mm. And then you have some mainstream environmentalists turn and start to be supporters of nuclear and saying that, you know, nuclear and renewables can't be strange bedfellows any longer. They can't be at odds with each other. And then you get this Section 232 thing um, that not only talks about the reliance on uh, how, however you want to categorize those nations, not so friendly nations to the to the United States, maybe that we're relying on for the uh, uranium. But not only that, really what I've seen come out of this 232 thing is like an eye back on just nuclear and nuclear tech in general. Like there was an article and I can put up a link to it in in Science Magazine this week with the headline, U.S. Department of Energy rushes to build advanced new nuclear reactors. And um, it wasn't sort of like a, a poo-poo nuclear article. I mean, it, this was a, a, a pro-nuclear. Um, we're, we're throwing hundreds of millions at this to come up with new designs that are more efficient and, and modular. And the quotes that were in there from physicists at, at big universities, I think the one that was quoted was from like the University of Chicago, was talking about these talking points that we've long known, right? Mm. That when renewables get to 30%, yeah, they're cheaper now. Um uh, because the upfront cost of nuclear is so high, but once they get to 30% of the grid, the intermittency is going to make them not competitive anymore. And the only way to sort of complement that and not increase emissions is with nuclear, right? And I'm just slapping my fucking forehead while I'm reading this article. Like, no <laughs> shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Fuck. Like, well, you Five mean we're not building later. solar roads? <laughs> anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I wrote a check to Sky Harbor a couple of weeks ago. Um, I own still a lot of Azarga and um, I think they're going to be fine. I'm not sure how they respond over the there's still a lot of uncertainty with this virus thing. Right. I think slowly but surely we're putting that behind us. We'll talk about that more in a second. But um, barring some sort of second wave, Earth goes back to hell in a handbasket with this virus, I think, um, you know, late, late. 2020 and 2021, you get this uranium cycle start to kick in because the utilities simply got to come back then, right? Absolutely. Let's talk about the reopening of America. All 50 states now have in some shape, way, or form reopened. Um, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, you know, for whatever reason has become a favorite target of the right, which is interesting considering that his boss is Donald Trump, right? But they've deflected Donald Trump's policies and 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 and, and projected them on, on Dr. Fauci. He said in an interview today that, you know, states should take significant precautions with social distancing, but it is absolutely time to start to reopen the economy. He said we had to shut down because we didn't know exactly what we were dealing with and we had this explosion in cases um, but now we're a lot clearer and there's a lot of good work going into it. Now, with that being said, um, you know, global cases, more than 5 million global deaths, 335,000, a hundred thousand of those, you know, close to a hundred thousand have come here from the U S, uh, more than 1.5 million cases in the U S. And so what have we learned, Nick, um, from the COVID-19 lockdown? Um, what have you learned? Let, let, let's go there. Let's personalize it a little bit. Have you learned anything? Have you learned anything that is different in your opinion of COVID and the policy response by the Trump administration and administrations around the world where you look at something very differently than you did initially? 
Hmm. I wish I had prepared for this question. I'll, I'll, let me start with the people and then I'll think while I talk about the people. I, one of the things I think I saw was the initial um, willingness of people to be so sheepish, right? Like including myself because it was something brand new um, and it was something foreign and it was something scary, right? You're talking about death and disease and those initial numbers that were coming out, um, you know, um, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of deaths, whatever, um, were scary. I remember in February thinking, gosh, it was like, um, I have to take it back to Game of Thrones because I think about that's how I was like <laughs> talking about it back then, right? It was yep. like the last sort of battle where you're just waiting for the White Walkers to show up, right? And it's like, fuck, I'm about to have to go outside and fight these White Walkers to the death. But then that sort of like <laughs> didn't did materialize in a couple of weeks. And so after that, I started sort of, I mean, I, I knew this, but I started seeing it in real time, right? Um, just people um, entirely not cowering, but not willing to discover things for themselves, not willing to entertain uh, the other side of it and not believing what was right in front of their face, still believing the narrative that was coming from, which I think in retrospect, we can say fairly now was uh, a bit heavy on the on the fear side, which I guess you got to be when you're looking at a pandemic. Um but even now, I still see with the data clearly showing that um, this isn't as bad as it was initially purported to be. People um, almost rooting for it, and I, I wanted—I made this distinction last week. I think it was like I'm not rooting for the disease to be bad. I'm not rooting for stocks to go down. I'm just grounded in reality, and I think we got a real economic thing to deal with now. But I see people still hung up on this virus and arguing about the politics of it, and especially like this Florida thing where Florida's kind of like doing okay and everybody wants to like shit on it. And so, um, I don't know, I think I'm as confused as anybody else about the response and what's real and how deadly it is and, and what's really being used to, to treat it efficaciously. But um, from my lens here in Spokane, we had 400 cases, right? Um, restaurants are, are back open today. I told you a couple of weeks ago, my wife was uh, headed to the nail salon. That turned out fine. Um, we'll go to a restaurant next week, next Friday. We'll let it play out for a week and, and see how things go. But um, I, I don't know. I guess just people's timidness still, sheepishness, sheepishness is, is what I'm seeing. And their their willingness to, to outsource their safety because I'm a total like, secure your own safety kind of guy, right? Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think, I think there's, you know, probably a couple of points. We've seen countries that did not respond the way the U.S. did with the lockdowns and the way that China did with its lockdown. And, and you know, unfortunately, if, if you look at Brazil and you look at South America, you know, you, you, you have what looks like an entire continent that now has got a serious problem, right? And, and a large part of that, I think, has to do, if you look at where in Brazil, for example, these new outbreaks are occurring at a, at, at a time where everywhere else we're seeing the infection rate, not the amount of cases because we're testing more now, but the infection rates start to come down and the hospitalization rates start to come down relative to the amount of people that, 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 that we're testing and, and, and are you know, checking into hospitals. If we look at all that, we can clearly see that distancing worked. Now, was that worth shutting down? The global economy, whole different conversation, right? I think there's probably 40 million people here in the United States that have filed for unemployment um, that, that, that would have a 
pretty spirited opinion about um, whether or not um, that was worth it. But again, I think one thing that is clear is that areas with high density, like New York here in the U.S., like Chicago here in the U.S., like Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, Sao Paulo in Brazil, I think density is most absolutely something that if we do have a second wave in the fall and winter time, um, we 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 are going to have to be very very targeted in our response. I don't believe that a second wave, if it happens the way many many you know doctors and and people that do this for a living are predicting, because it's a virus and that's how they that's how they that, that that's how they act. Um, if we get a second wave, I don't believe one that America, <laughs> including myself, is signing up for another complete lockdown. Um, but two, I, I, I hope that the regions and areas that were hardest hit, um, where it's clear that the, the population density um, has, has contributed to that in a significant way, I hope they are better prepared. You know, it's, it's, I got really tired, much like yourself, Nick, of hearing the political debate about the Trump administration saying it was the Obama administration, you know, that left the shelves bare. And this guy's been in office for three years. Well, if they were bare, you should have gone shopping and replenished it because you've had three years, right? I, I, I got really tired of the political disagreements behind what is a health issue and a self-induced depression. Um, and I hope that the second go round, if this comes back in the fall time, is, is, is more targeted, is more intelligent, is less partisan. Um, and unfortunately, my fear is that because it's going to coincide with a November election, um, I fear that may not be the case. You know, I see a lot of, you know, the videos in the news and on Twitter of, of, of just some uppity privileged people being real assholes to people that are just trying to make a living and trying to keep them safe. Um, <laughs> I can tell you if I am out with my kids and some jerk coughs on purpose on me or my kids, there is going to be <laughs> a different concern for that person and their health and it won't be because of covid and i you know i'm i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of workers that are just you know working making 10 15 dollars an hour at target and at walmart and at you know your local grocery store and all they're trying to do is keep people safe and a lot of people being assholes to them and i hope that we can get some sense of decency um as a as a collective right as a collective society about who implemented the policy who it affected and the fact that really, you know, like we said in the beginning, um, we're all in this together. Let's, let's find a better sense of community because, uh, and again, I know Twitter isn't the real world, but there are a lot of real assholes out there that are showing their ass right now. Well, it's, it's, it's real world stuff too. And, and I guess that's one of the other things I've noticed is that, um, you know, I know people that live in Maryland that have uh, gone to their um, second home in Florida, right? And you can start by saying right away that that's like a, a privileged problem, right? Yes, it um, is. And so listen, this this actually gets even better, right? Um, and so they're talking about how um, all the New York license plates they're seeing on the way driving down to Florida and how people in the Florida neighborhoods are basically like openly opposed to all these New Yorkers coming down. If you look and if uh, I remember, I'll put a, a link up, but there's a New York Times interactive map that shows where all the, because the New Yorkers fled, right? The New, like you said, when this first broke out, if you have money, you're going to be fine. And all the people with money in New York, they got the fuck out, right? 
Um, and, and where did they go? Well, we know where they went because of mail forwarding. And so the New York Times did a, a map of where they all went and they drew the arrows and you can see how many people went where, but a lot went to Florida. We know that there's a lot of New Yorkers in Florida anyway. I'm making this a long story, but all these Flor- all these Floridians are uh, upset that all these New Yorkers are coming. And so there's like this animosity where if you got an out-of-state license plate, like you're getting some flack from the from the locals. And so um, I'll tell you what this person's solution was, and you're going to laugh really hard. <laughs> they, <can't wait. laughs> they parked they parked their Maryland license plate car in their garage, and they got out their Florida license plate car. <laughs> so now they're locals. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But again, all jokes aside, that's hilarious. But all jokes aside, the fact that we have to do that, the fact that, you know, I, I, I see it here in Texas. I mean, my wife and I and our family moved from Alaska, you know, my wife is born and raised there. I spent 17 years there. We met there and we moved here to, to, to Austin in the Round Rock area, um, eight years ago and, uh, you know, seven years ago. And, 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 you know, now we've been here long enough where, you know, we consider it home and, and, and we've, we've, we, we've seen the growth and the transition and, you know, we're getting 35% of Californians are moving into Texas and they're, they're a lot of them are moving here. You know, and, and there's this there's this attitude and, and it's been it's been exacerbated recently with this whole COVID-19 thing um, about Californians, you know, coming to Texas and changing, you know, the culture and changing the fiber of, of Texan society, whatever that is. Right. And so I just I I, I hate that we're at a point in culture like society like like Texas stole it from Mexico. Exactly. That's where I was going. Texas, right? And so it's just I I I I I I laugh and I cringe at the short-sightedness of some people in, in you know, instead of embracing people and you know, I I just had a social distancing gathering um with some friends at at, at our second home, which is 20 minutes from here, right? Speaking of privilege, and we all sat six feet away and we were outside and you know, a couple of them were Trump supporters and we were having this exact same dialogue about, you know, let's talk ideas. Don't ask me if I like Trump. Ask me, ask me about the policy. Ask me about specific things. And I'm more than happy to have that, that debate with you. Um, you know, a fact-based debate that's respectful. And then we did that and it was great. It was fantastic. But even they, you know, there was a couple there that, that, that we're friends with. And even they said, you know, well, I just hope we don't keep getting these Californians and, and their attitudes. And, you know, California is, you know, <laughs> 30 million people. Like, they're not all the same. You and I have, 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 have friends in California that tend to lean more, more, more to the right than to the left and are also very privileged and well off. And, you know, it's just I just think it's it's time to look at things in a completely different way. And and I hope that this fourth turning that's happening is, is, is something that enables that moving forward so that my kids, you know, can 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 have adult conversations with adults that aren't ideologue based, right? Aren't just based on political party or ideology or to have it be fact-based and science-based and, and, you know, respectful and civil. And anyhow, well, that's just it. And to name drop one more person, uh, you know, at outsider club, one of the editors there has formed a relationship with Gary Johnson, the yeah. former governor of New Mexico, who's run on the libertarian presidential ticket twice now. 
Um, and he had a conversation with him this week that I, I thought was pretty fascinating. I mean, he sat down and yep. talked with Gary Johnson for 25 minutes about all sorts of stuff. But one of the things that came up was about how Justin Amash has now <laughs> dropped out of running for the Libertarian ticket, even after switching his party affiliation from uh, Republican to Libertarian and then saying he was going to run. And then basically a couple of weeks later saying he was going to back out. And you could sort of just see it on Gary Johnson's face because it was a video interview, sort of like how disheartened he was, right? Because he was saying that it, Justin Amash was probably the Libertarian's best chance. Not that he was going to win, of course, but that he was a congressman with a name, right? Mm. And now you're just going to get some Joe Schmo that is going to be on the ticket that nobody's going to care about. And at least the media would have had to cover Amash, right? And so, yeah, um, you know, uh, no prize this year, CN4. That's it, right? Um, let, let me ask you, uh, you know, we had, <laughs> I was talking with my brother-in-law yesterday and I, I was, I was, I was, I was sitting here and I said, listen, I said, I don't understand. I, I, I said, I still think Trump has a, a pretty legit chance of winning, especially if they continue to paper over, you know, the depression that, 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 that was brought on by the lockdown. If they just continue to send people checks and continue to promise, you know, jobs and continue to promise stimulus and, you know, a little bit at a time to keep them on the vine, then, Hey, you know, maybe in November he wins again. And, and, you know, he, he's a very rational, logical person. And he said, well, I just, I, I, I just don't see that being the case. And I said, well, listen, I said, when's the last time you heard Joe Biden campaign and say something, you know, more than one sentence long, that was, that was, that was coherent and substantive. And his answer was like, man, yeah, he has been quiet. And so of course today we get, we get Joe Biden and then he, he does the breakfast breakfast club, which is a, 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 a podcast and a radio show based out of New York. And he's talking to the host, African-American, a black host. Um, Charlemagne, the God is his entertainment name. And he, and he, you know, they're talking politics and Charlemagne was explaining that, you know, just because Donald Trump is who Donald Trump is, doesn't automatically ensure that he would be voting for a Joe Biden. He wants the candidate to earn his vote like everyone should, right? And so Joe Biden responds by saying, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. <laughs> so this was his first day back on the campaign trail in a meaningful way. And again, this is the rhetoric that we're getting from the, 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 the Democrats on the left, right? And so it's to your point, Nick, it's extremely disheartening that the two options that we have are 70 something year old white men that are clearly out of touch with the makeup of this country economically, demographically. Um, and, and one of those two will be the next president of the United States, right? That's just the way it's going to go. So yeah, see you in four and uh, let's see what happens between now and November. It should be interesting. I'm surprised he didn't add Jack to that because he always loves to call people Jack, right? Like, um, you ain't black, Jack. I'm just surprised <laughs> he didn't say it. And, and, the, in all and, and, the man, and the man at the end, right? If you don't That's know, right. if you don't, if you don't know the difference between me and Donald Trump, you don't know me, man. <laughs> I thought it was made by like, have you seen on Twitter the? Uh, Joe Joe Biden insult generator. Have you seen that? I have not. You, can you put a you link can to it? You, I can put a link, but you can tweet to the Joe Biden insult uh, generator and the Joe Biden will then insult you in Joe Biden speak. Like, <laughs> you, you, you're two-timing boogaloo, Jack, or whatever he comes back with. It's funny. It's funny. And I'll, I'll put a link. 
That's hilarious. Aunt Becky Lori Laughlin has pleaded guilty um, in the college admission scandal. There's so much going on in the world. It doesn't really matter. I just thought it was funny because the judge said he would not accept the guilty plea until he read the sentencing report. And my first thought was, didn't you watch Full House, man? <laughs> didn't you see Didn't you see that Aunt Becky doesn't deserve to be in prison? All jokes aside, the deal was two months. Because of this COVID-19, it was well time to plead guilty. I doubt she'll do more than two weeks. It'll likely be home confinement, a la Paul yep. Manafort. Um, and, you know, I, I look, I... At the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, it's privileged people. It's well-off people gaming the system, and they got caught. And the penalty will be very, very, very minimal. Um, meanwhile, you know, <laughs> the rest of but the you world— But you can't let it go, though, because it's so easy to dismiss those sorts of things, right? And I know we're going to sweep it under the rug and say there's a lot more going on, but— I, I, I got to bring up the FBI in this yep. getting hand jobs again, right? Yep. I'm so because disheartened is it, the only reason I didn't want to delve deeper. I'm disheartened, Nick. I, 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 I said it last week. If I could short justice and morality in America, I would. That's it, because you got the people here who are supposed to be like the holder uppers of the law, right? The FBI, the sort of like even the, the agency that like law enforcement people aspire to be in, right? And then. Um, you know, they're just like getting hand jobs from the people they're they're trying to protect. And so, um, gosh, if you can't rely on on that, right? Like, you know, like you say, short justice. Yeah, and mind you, these are, you know, again, and we talked about it last week, but the, the, this wasn't just the FBI getting hand jobs from willing people that were willing to give them hand jobs. Nothing wrong in that, you know, consensual hand job. The, the, this was FBI agents assigned to protect, you know, exploited sex workers. Um, and victims of, 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 of sexual assault and sex trafficking and taking advantage of that profile. And instead of protecting these mostly women, you know, they, 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 they were, they were, they were basically re-victimizing them again. And, you know, I look at all the money that was spent on this college admission scandal. This was a major case. This, this was tax dollars, not that it matters apparently anymore. This was a lot of tax dollars that were spent investigating. And you know what? For the most part, everybody got to plead guilty. Most people are going to do a month or two. Most of it will be home confinement. Most of them will pay a fine. Um, and it's just, again, the fact that that's where justice in America is at, at the highest level, is is disheartening. It, it it's, it's disappointing. And uh, yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Yep, and it'll be forgotten soon because there's so much more going on. There is. There is. Um, let's pivot back. Uh, let's pivot back to the markets. I know we, we talked uranium. We talked copper, silver, gold, of course, the overall indices. I know you have concerns about the lithium space, and we haven't talked about this off air, so I would love to hear um, your thoughts, why you're concerned, and, uh, and, and where, you think, where you think that space, what it looks like moving forward, where it goes. I'm not sure. Like I say uh, in the in the doc there, I just am a little concerned for a couple of reasons. I I obviously like the space. I've had success in the space. Um, whether or not you want to call advantage a success uh, might remain to be seen. We'll have to see what sort of Aura Cobra does. But I'm just looking at all these other deals that have that have tried and failed or haven't been able to get it done, secure financing, Namaska or whatever it is, and even. Ones that I've done diligence on that I put on a short list that I'm sort of like getting more comfortable with, they just haven't seemed to to do it. And I I, I was just running through tickers today, looking at charts, looking at charts, looking at charts, and it, it just wasn't really like exciting to me, right? Like they weren't going the the right way. And then as I, I 
I, I told you earlier, I, I, I'm kind of looking for a car. And so I've just been doing my, my searching here and there. And uh, granted, I'm a truck guy and that's not really the battery forte, but you know, the, I guess there's a couple of, of battery trucks out there. Uh, I didn't come across a, a single one and it's sort of like, to me, it's almost coming a, a solar road, a road thing. It's like, maybe it's because of where I live, but it's like, I just haven't seen the, uh, the mass adoption yet that we keep saying is going to come. And then, um, not that I haven't not believed it for a while, but when you add in this, um, oil thing is sort of like another kicker, right? Like I filled up my truck for 50 bucks yesterday. Like, mm. I, why do, why do I need to buy a, that's 28 gallons. And so why do I need an electric car if I'm not a, if I'm not a, a, a greenie and I'm not worried about, I guess, what's coming out of my, out of my tailpipe. I, I don't know. It's just, I thought it was an interesting conversation to have because I haven't seen much working and I don't own much in the space and I'm sort of trying to get excited about it, but I haven't been able to convince myself. Yeah. I, I think we've learned that uh, mining lithium and producing, you know, uh, the carbonate and the hydroxide and the, the you know, all the different types um, of lithium that go into the different applications is harder than it appeared when the bull market in lithium, um, you know, developed, right? Everybody just added lithium to the end of the, their, their name. And all of a sudden everybody had, uh, rocks and it's dirt. like graphite, right? Exactly. Yeah. You had rocks and dirt in Nevada that were gold plays that, you know, became lithium plays and nobody had water to do anything with it. But, you know, these companies ran and then it was a round trip and they ran right back. So I think we've definitely learned that the technical expertise that's required is is, is likely only going to be sourced at the highest levels. Um, and, and there's not enough of that know-how to go around. Now, with that being said, I know Q1 sales in Europe and, and you know, Q2 is going to be miserable, obviously, but Q1, um, you know, they reached a record high of 200, I think it was 217,000 vehicles and a penetration rate of 6.5%. And so that's encouraging. I know that obviously demand in China, you know, for Q2 is going to be tough, but they, they, you know, they have a government mandate um, to incentivize the, the development and the purchase of, 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 of getting the grid established and getting electric vehicles on the road. And, and that's an environmental mandate, not so much, you know, just government wants to subsidize for subsidy's sake. Um, you know, a, a lot of these cities are, 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 are you know, <laughs> atrocious, atrociously polluted at best. And so the only way around that is, is to cut down on some of the CO2 and that's an easy way to do it and incentivize your economy. So I guess I'm a bit more optimistic though. The picture definitely now is, is, is like our theme last week. It's a picture of haves and have nots. If you have the technical expertise, if you have the financial backing, if you have a jurisdiction, that's becoming more important, right? A jurisdiction that allows you to operate in, in a reasonable fashion. I think, I think there's a lot of money still left to be made in the space, but I do believe that the money is going to be made by a handful of producers, the lithium Americas of the world and, you know, some of some other names out there, but I, I, I am a bit more optimistic and that may be because of where I live, you know, living in Austin and Round Rock. I, 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 I can't count on two hands just on a daily basis when I am out <laughs> the few times that I venture wow. out into the world, the amount of electric vehicles out there. Um, so, yeah, yeah. 
And what about now? So this is the other thing that I meant to mention alongside the oil is this work from home thing. I guess that's the mm. other thing I was thinking about, right? If Facebook is going work from home and Jeffrey's Bank, people don't need to go back from, you know, commute their little 20 miles from their suburbs outside the city, then why do they need a, a fancy electric car? I guess that was sort of in my line of thought there somewhere. Yeah, let's hope that you know with with the with with the strip clubs back open and the restaurants <laughs> back open, still gonna go somewhere. <laughs> and the bars back open, you know. Let let let's hope that we all, uh, you know, develop antibodies and they 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 they're able to develop a vaccine and 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 treatment and that you know uh, our our scientific community comes through the way I think they will. Um, and, and things are somewhat back to normal within the next six to 12 months. Right. And then let's hope that, you know, around the world, we are better prepared the next time because, you know, we, we could argue about whether the lockdown was worth, um, the economic consequences of it. You know, you could make a pretty good argument that the reason it wasn't as severe is because of the fact that we locked down. And that's what, you know, prevented for the most part, the, uh, the explosion in cases that was anticipated according to all the models, or you could argue that, you know, we could have done like Sweden and just really looked after the most vulnerable parts of the population. Um, and, and you would have mitigated the economic disaster that, that, that has resulted, uh, because of the lockdowns. Both of those arguments are pretty valid. I think there's points on both sides, but I hope that the point that we take out of, out of, out of everything is that we need to be better prepared because there will be a next pandemic. And eventually we are going to get one where tag you're it and you're it and you're dead, right? I hope not. It's, uh, the history of the world, Nick. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime, but, you know, uh, the history of the world says those are going to come around every every generation or two. And and, and maybe this was just a, a, a heads up because I, I got to tell you, if if this had turned into... Um, one of those, it would have been catastrophic and, and no disrespect to, you know, the hundred thousand people that, that, that have passed here in the U S and, you know, the, 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 the over 5 million people around the world that have died. But, you know, on a global scale, if you take those numbers and you look, I, I was showing my, my 11 year old a chart the other day, and even he looked at it and he said, you know, I, I showed him population charts and I compared, you know, hospitalization rates and infection rates. And he said, that's it. You know, and in his mind, just from what he's seen from from school and conversations with friends and, you know, what's in the news in his mind, he just he said, well, I just I, you know, he's like, it's sad for those people, dad. But I just thought it was a lot more people than this. And so um, I hope we're better prepared because, we're you know, sooner or later, we, we will get one that is a lot more deadly and a lot less forgiving. Um, and if this is the response to it, it's 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 not going to be good. Yeah, hopefully we take the lessons to heart. That's it. That's it. Um, let's talk positive stories, Nick. I, 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 I got to believe that you have something on deck and, and I see something on the document here that we, that we share, that we put together 10 minutes before the podcast. So I just wanted to tell you about Ratko Rudik, who I think I knew about, but had forgotten about. And if you've ever watched, uh, uh, Olympics uh, water polo, then you've seen this guy's face. You might have not known his name, but I'll put a link up and you can see a picture and you, you'll recognize his face. This guy was apparently um, one badass motherfucker. Um, and not just a water polo player, but as a coach. So the articles I was reading and the one I've got up here now is from the, the Wall Street Journal. So um, the Wall Street Journal is obviously writing about this guy. He is the, the best coach they're calling him of any sport ever. 
Um, mm. Better than they're talking about. Better than Belichick. Better than Vince Lombardi. Better than Mike Shashevsky. Better than Greg Popovich. Um, they're saying just all around uh, a best coach ever in any sport. So let me give you the numbers. Um, he has the most Olympic appearances at nine for the most countries, five different countries, with the most medals, five as a coach, uh, one as a player, and the most gold medals, four, and the most longevity between his medals, 28 years between his first and last as a player and a coach. And so uh, the article goes into his coaching style and his philosophy on life and how he coached all these different teams. It wasn't just one team. It was Yugoslavia, Italy, and U.S., and Croatia, uh, and Brazil. And then like the heartwarming story, the reason that Americans are supposed to care is because he came and um, turned around our U.S. water polo team after he hit rock bottom in the, in, the, in, the, in the sport and like cussed out a judge at one of the Olympics and was banned <laughs> for the sport from a year. And then he got to come back and he had to coach the worst team ever, like the Bad News Bears story, right? And the worst team ever was the U.S. team. And that's who he coached. And uh, he brought them to greatness. But just it goes into his tactics and, and how he's a, a good man outside of the water polo, but a brutal coach, man. I mean, people were throwing up at every practice. Uh, one of his tactics was to have no holds barred wrestling in the deep end. And basically you mm. lost, when you, you lost when you drowned. Ouch. <laughs> and so anyway, I'll put the link up, but they don't make them like this anymore. They don't make them like that anymore is right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar just looking at the name, but you know, I've got, I'll dig into it when you put the link up and, and take a peek. And, and you said it pretty wor- world renowned. So we'll, we'll see if I recognize him and I'll get more familiar with his methods, I guess. There you go. And he's not dead. He's just retired. So that was why the article was in the news. He retired. They should do ESPN should do a documentary on him. I mean, hey. I, I just got done with the Michael Jordan one. It was 10 episodes and me growing up in Chicago and, you know, lifelong Bulls fan until the stupid front office ran him and Phil Jackson out of town. It was fantastic. It was it was it was well done. And uh, I think obviously there's there's still a little bit of time to uh, to put some new quality content up there. That would be interesting. We actually watched the the Michael Jordan documentary in our house. It was good. Excellent. 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 Nick, any stocks we should be watching this week? Ooh, um, I keep your eye on gold. Like I said at the beginning, I, I bought some some gold at the um, well, it was probably like two days ago. And so I, I think we're going to see uh, gold go back up higher um, stocks. Let's talk about Rupert again for a second. Um <clears throat> Uh, we talked about the drill hole they put out the other week where the, the stock doubled. They, they followed that up again with some some more high quality results. They're really exposing this uh, new deep de- geology in Finland. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with the CEO since we uh, last recorded a podcast who was sort of filling in the blanks for me. And um, that's sort of like the best drill hole that's ever come out of Finland, the one from two weeks ago. Right. Um, and uh, just developing really nicely and you, you talk about uh, where's the gold going to come from etc et um well here's a company with a, a resource and a mill and so um we've talked about other companies with resources and mills and that's sort of like my my wheelhouse right i mean i, I don't know how it, that ended up being but that's sort of where i feel comfortable and how i sort of can get a, a real good handle on the valuations and the upside as opposed to some of these more um exploratory plays especially some that have 
you know, run on some drill holes. And I just can't justify those valuations to myself without a, a resource and some infrastructure like these other deals have. I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds a little bit vague, but uh, what I'm saying is I, I look at some companies that are out there, 50, 60, 70, $100 million market caps that are that are just running on drill holes. And I get that, you know, back to the life cycle of a mining play, right? I get that that's the exciting uh, part. But if I can buy something at a cheaper valuation that I know definitively has more ounces, um, and I can, I can bet that that valuation is going to catch up right as the cycle comes. That's just where I feel more comfortable. And so, um, I haven't bought any more Rupert, but that story is getting much more interesting. Agreed. There's some bargains in the space. If you like infrastructure and you like gold, you have to like revival gold. It's, it's, it's been on a good run here the last couple of weeks. Still just has a market cap under $50 million. Um, has, you know, gold on the leech pads, has a significant infrastructure advantage in Idaho, great jurisdiction, 3 million ounces across all categories, headed to five, and they're undertaking a PEA for a near-term production decision slash scenario. So revival is one, if you like infrastructure and you like gold and you like good management teams, that still looks attractive despite the recent run-up in price. One that caught my eye today, and, and I've been watching it all week, slowly but surely, is an exploration play that's got a solid management team, part of the discovery group of companies. It's K2 Gold. You know, K2 has been pretty dormant with the exception of news about two months ago on some trenches at its Mojave Californian gold project, um, a project that John Robbins called the best early stage gold camp he had ever seen. Now, the stock is up some 40% this week on pretty decent volume, 100,000 plus shares on a daily basis. And so the market cap is still tiny. It's still just 12 million, but I got to believe there's some news in lieu of the rise in share price has to be something right I, I i don't believe that even in this market an exploration play is going to rise 40 percent for no reason so i'm curious to see what the next week brings for k2 gold and bringing it back to finland moss and resources right who who i think would 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 put up a good case about you know robust uh, drill results out of finland and uh they have assays pending and i believe 13 holes that should be should be published i believe within the next week or two um, they seem to have a really good understanding of that geologic model. They've hit some high grade. I think they have a resource estimate coming out in the next month or two that should be approaching about a million ounces of gold. And they believe they can grow that to two and three million relatively quickly. They also just happen to raise $18 million Canadian. And uh, yeah, that's keep an eye on Mawson. Relatively easily uh, getting exciting in Australia and uh, I got an eye on Mawson as well. I like it. I like it. Anything else you'd like to add, Mr. Hodge? I don't know if you got big weekend plans. Spokane is opening back up. Texas is opening back up. You going anywhere? No, we don't have any plans to go anywhere, but it um, is Memorial Day weekend. And so maybe spend a moment reflecting on why you're able to go uh, somewhere at will. And, um, I think I'm just gonna, we got some steaks and here in the Pacific Northwest, it's wild mushroom season. So we mm. get these lovely morels and porcinis that grow in the burn areas. And, um, I got this old guy at the farmer's market who's missing all his teeth. And I might've told you about him before, but, yep. uh, he, he does wild huckleberries and morels and his fingers are always stained from picking the berries and he's a wonderful gentleman. And so I'll go buy some uh, mushrooms from him on Saturday and grill them with my steak. What do you got going on? I love it. I love it. Um, the same, you know, we'll likely we're going to, we're going to, we're going to shack up here at home, grill some steaks. 
hang out with the kids, get a little swimming in and, uh, you know, maybe drive into town and just see how out and about everybody is. I'm definitely not um, ready to go back to, you know, a, a, a restaurant yet or the gym I'm waiting another week or two to see if, if, if the recent opening here leads to, you know, an increase in hospitalization rates and infection rates. And, uh, you know, if the data comes back the way it's been trending, then maybe in the next week or two, it's time to start getting back out there a little bit at a time, but you know, be, be safe and, 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 you know, shack up another week or so. That's it. Lay low. Enjoy the time at home for the three day weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I hope by the time you read this, it'll be Monday. I hope everybody had a great one. Absolutely take the time to, to remember why we get to do the things that we're able to do in this country. I'm Gerardo Del Real, along with Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode 71 of Bizarro World. Have a great week, everyone. See ya.